Welcome to IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. IFA Talk is for professional investors only. Thank you. Thanks very much for joining us for the latest episode of IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast, where we talk to people who matter about the things that matter in the world of financial services. I'm Brandon Russell, and joining me on the podcast today is my co-host and IFA Magazine editor, Sue Whitbread. Today is our very first podcast on the subject of mortgages. Certainly a hot topic at the moment. Oh, it certainly is, isn't it, Brandon? And hi, everyone. It's Sue here. And as Brandon said, we're talking mortgages today, which we're really quite excited about. And it's a particularly interesting angle that we're going to be looking at, which is the green agenda in mortgages. And I'm delighted to welcome Kate Davis as our guest. And Kate is Executive Director at IMLA, the Intermediary Mortgage Lenders Association. And she has vast experience in mortgage, in mortgage, property and financial sectors. So we've got the right person. Kate, thank you very much for joining us today. Good morning, Sue and Brandon, and thank you very much for inviting me. I feel very honoured to be your, your first speaker in this series. OK, we're really looking forward to the conversation today. Before we jump into the questions, could you just tell us a bit about yourself and a bit about your role at IMLA? Sure. I started in this industry back in 1991. I, at that time, I worked for the Building Societies Association and the Council of Mortgage Lenders. IMLA actually goes back further than that. It started in 1988 and it was set up originally to be the trade association for mortgage lenders, which weren't banks and which weren't building societies. So they couldn't be members of the British Bankers Association or the Building Societies Association. And they set themselves up on their own and initially called the Association of Mortgage Lenders. And after a few years, they changed their name because um, as centralized lenders who relied entirely on mortgage brokers to sell their products, um, they decided it would be right to call themselves the Intermediary Mortgage Lenders Association, hence the name. And in the early days, there were probably uh, all about a dozen members. Um, Over time, it's grown, and I now have 54 members, including some of the very largest and some much smaller ones. I have a combination of banks, building societies, and specialist lenders in membership. Um, And the members, the individual people who represent their organisations on IMLA, are the typically heads of intermediary lending, heads of mortgage distribution. They're at that specific role within, within their firm. Um, And so we focus as a trade association specifically on that lender intermediary relationship, how mortgages are being distributed by lenders. So it is quite specific. Um, We're very small. I'm the only IMLA employee and I'm part time. Um, And we don't try to replicate what BSA and UK Finance do. UK Finance, which is the merger of my old employer, Council of Mortgage Lenders and the British Bankers Association. but we have a very spe- we have a, a particular perspective on the world, if you like, because we see things from the the broker's perspective, and we work very closely with AMI, the Association of Mortgage Intermediaries. Um, and I suppose we have two main roles. One is to provide a forum for all members to come together and talk about life of the price of fish and mortgages and things that may be concerning them, policy issues, etc. And from that, I gain a lot of um, current day to day knowledge on how they see things developing, what concerns them, what they'd like to happen. And then I have regular meetings along with some of my my senior members with people at the Financial Conduct Authority, the PRA, the Bank of England, the Treasury. um, And then depending on what the policy issue is, it might be DLUC. If we're talking about housing, it might be House Builders Federation, it might be DCMS. Just just, that's a foot in the door with with government departments so that we can brief, not so much at ministerial level, but at official level. We talk to the people who brief 
ministers. So we, we, uh, uh, quite a lot of information flow in a relatively informal but very informed way, I would say, going from IMLA members to the decision makers and policy makers. Mm, well, thanks for that explanation. It's really good to hear in detail about the work of IMLA and your role within it too, and with our audience today being advisors and mortgage brokers, I'm sure that the, the role of IMLA will be something that will be very important for them. So as Brent, we talked earlier, didn't we, about the green agenda, and we were all interested to see the government's Powering Up Britain policy paper recently, uh, which was published by the department, the snappily named Department for Energy Security and Net Zero. Uh, Kate, I wonder if you could summarize what you see as the ramifications of that for the mortgage industry. I wish there were more to summarise. <laughs> this this paper is long awaited um, and I've been waiting really since early 2021 to read some responses to two big consultations that went out um, in the last quarter of 2020, long before Disney's, as we're now calling it, um, had, been, had been thought up. Um, the two consultations were on... Um, promoting energy efficiency in the private rented sector. So of course that was particular interest to the buy-to-let lenders who fund landlords. Uh, and then a couple of months later, there was one on improving home energy performance through lenders. So looking at how mortgage lenders could be targeted um, as being a bit of a, a firewall, if I can use that expression, um, to help improve energy efficiency of properties that were mortgaged to them. So two big consultations that came out at the end of 2020. And normally you would expect a consultation to be open for about three months and for the government department responsible to come back with feedback in another three months and then for policy proposals to be put forward, say six months or maximum a year after the consultation was published. Now I know we went into COVID or we were in COVID at that time, we were in lockdown, there were various issues which slowed down the consultative process maybe but you know we're now in 2023 and I kept on being promised from the, the departments oh yes yes the proposals will be published soon yes it'll be coming soon yes definitely by Easter last year yeah, definitely by the end of 2022 um, oh hopefully by Easter 2023 and now in March Powering Up Britain came out and we're told that we're going to get um, two announcements by the end of the year I hope they mean 2023. One is a summary of the responses which were received to the consultation aimed at the private rented sector. Only a summary of responses. It doesn't say that there will be any actual government um, uh, consideration or proposals on what they're going to do about those responses. And the paper on um, improving home energy through mortgage lenders, we can expect proposals by the end of the year. But that's that feels like a very long time to publish a summary of responses and finally come up with proposals, which then presumably will be subject to consultation and then legislation, which takes a long time to get through. So quite possibly nothing very much will happen or become required. That's the, the critical thing until 2025. It's a long, it's a long, long, frustrating right. wait. Mm, isn't it? Just I, I do, an important sorry. thing, isn't it? I do appreciate it's a it's an it's extraordinarily difficult subject. I'm very glad I'm not making the policy, um, but we are in a very uncertain vacuum at the moment, and there's I feel I fear there's a real danger of a lot of people going off in different directions, maybe being encouraged to do not necessarily the wrong thing, but maybe being encouraged to spend money and resources in ways which are, are not 
doesn't necessarily need to be the best. There's no one best solution. Um, we have talked about the dangers of a cowboy's charter. People coming in saying that they'll lag your loft for you or they'll pump foam in your walls or they'll, they'll have some wonderful quick fix to make your house more energy efficient. And they may not be qualified. They may not know what they're talking about. Um, and you know, people may be conned into parting with hard cash thinking it's going to help them. And actually, you know, in a couple of years time, someone will come along and say, mm, that's not right. Shouldn't have done that. You've maybe damaged your property in some way. And there is some evidence of, of that having happened in, in some areas. Well, we, sh we can't really hold our breath, can we? But as you say, a best case scenario is going to take some time. You are listening to IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. Subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to be notified as soon as a new episode becomes available. And follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram at IFA Magazine. Just building on the point further then, Kate, uh, what mm -hmm. sentiment are you seeing amongst lenders? And what are your thoughts on the green gender in mortgages at the moment? People who invest in mortgage lenders want to know that certain policies are being followed, whether that's um, on the DNI agenda or on the uh, climate change agenda. And if, as a lender, you don't have a policy, you risk alienating some of those investors who may walk and decide not to invest in you. So not having a policy is not an option for lenders. So that's a bit of a driver, <laughs> a bit of an incentive, quite apart from the fact that they may feel themselves or their staff may feel or they may uh, be picking up that their consumers their customers want them to be moving in the right direction you know who's going to stand up and say i don't want to save the planet um but there there are proportionate effective and realistic responses to that um so just as lenders can't all rush around saying well we've just come up with a product that's going to save the planet no they can't do that um, they can develop products that may help people to make small improvements to their homes or to their businesses. But lenders are not scientists. They're not climate change scientists. Some of them might be in their spare time, but most of them are financiers. They are there to lend money mm -hmm. to help people do things. Um, and if they can see the, um, the benefit of a product uh, and the, they do a risk assessment on that product and they think it's a sensible thing to do, then yes, of course, they can lend on it. Um, but ultimately, they can't throw money at initiatives that they don't think are going to work or are not going to repay. And remember, with things like building societies, um, it's not the society's money that it's putting at risk when it lends. It's its members' money. Mm -hmm. If you have a building society account, that's your money. Um, yeah. So they, 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 have to be very, they have to be guardians and trustees of, of that money um, and make sure that they're lending it out sensibly. So it, it's... I'm sure there was a lot of goodwill. There was a lot of intention to, to do the right thing. The question is, what is the right thing? Or what are the right things? And on that, we need a lot more clarity from government. And that is what we're waiting for, which is what we've just been talking about with the, the slowness of the response to the consultations. Mm, gosh, yes. Um, I wonder then, Kate, have you seen a growth in interest and efforts, I guess, that are linked to net zero change within the mortgage industry since you started your career? Did you say it was back in 1991 originally? I started in November, 90, December, December 1991. Mm. Um, well, yes, there has been a, a, a change. It's been slow, I suppose. Um, when I joined all that time ago, I think the only lender that was really actively involved was the Ecology Building Society. Um, yeah. which was, was lending on, I'm not even sure they call them green mortgages. We were aware of green politics, you know, green green parties yeah. um, come, uh, wanting us to take to do certain things. And there's been a gradual change for everyone, I suppose. Um, 
So far as lenders are concerned, it's a bit of a, it's been a bit more of a slow burn for, for all the reasons we've just been discussing, not mm -hmm. knowing, um, I mean, lenders will put out products to help people do things, but there has to be demand from the customers for that. Um, so customers will need to see a benefit in taking out a green mortgage. That benefit might be their own wish to make their property more energy efficient, um, or it might be that they're getting an incentive from the lender to do something. There's an element of stick and carrot. I think a lot more minds have been concentrated in the last few years as we've become much more aware uh, through the, the various COP meetings yeah. um, and the various dire warnings we've been getting. And then the very practical impact we all saw last summer when it got distinctly hot. I, I think I think there will be more demand going forward. Um, it, it's a tricky one to to work out what the timing will be because I think a lot a lot of young people uh, are much more um, energy aware, climate aware. Not surprisingly, yeah. they're going to be around longer than than me, um, and they may be looking for lenders who can come up with products that they feel reflect their values in whatever ways. And green energy is just one of those um, values that young people may be wanting to to have reflected. That being said, property is still phenomenally expensive in this country, and we know how difficult it is for first-time buyers to get on the ladder. Um, a lot of younger people are still renting, so it's not clear how much clout they have at the moment in, in pushing that agenda and uh, only selecting lenders who fit their, fit their values. Mm. Um, it may be a luxury for some to say, well, I would like to have a green mortgage, but actually I can't afford it. Um, I'm going to go for the cheapest, you know, whatever's available, whatever gets my foot on the ladder to start with. Yeah. And likewise, if you're a tenant, you you might have the luxury of saying to your landlord, well, I'd like this, that and the other. I'd like a low carbon property to rent. I'd like all LED light bulbs. I'd like all energy efficient heat source, heat sources, whatever the, that is. Um, but, you know, beggars can't be choosers. And you may not be in a position to to drive, to drive that agenda, so it's it's a difficult balance. I'm sure a lot of responsible lenders will want to do the right thing, but it's a question of of what is the right thing, and what is proportionate in terms of running their businesses. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, okay, we are moving rapidly towards the end of today's episode. Before we finish up, though, I've got one last question: How can the mortgage industry best support net zero efforts in 2023, and what is needed from the government and wider business to enable lenders to act and plan effectively? I'm amazed the time has been gone so quickly. I, I, I wrote down four bullet points earlier thinking it might be a nice way of trying to summarise it. What do we need from the government? There are the, the four C's. We need certainty, we need clarity, we need consistency, and we need some costings. So we want certainty of what is going to be required of lenders, um, of homeowners, um, and the consultations so far have been focused on the private rented sector, so on landlords and on mortgage lenders. There's another 30% of properties out there which are owned without a mortgage, and it doesn't seem very uh, consistent or reasonable that they are not brought into the mix as well. So, um, so certainty, consistency, clarity, what is being required, what are the building standards. So we have buildings regulations constantly um, being developed. People need to know if they're doing something to their loft or to their heating. They need to know it's being done in accordance with regulations. Don't get something fitted that's going to be obsolete in another couple of years time um, or that might be regarded as being dangerous or, or you, you can't get the service and parts for it anymore. And you don't want to let it, payback periods on some of the measures are quite long. So people need to know that they're, they're not throwing their money away. 
Um, and costings are an idea of what is a reasonable cost, because if I go to a, 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 a tradesman or, or a contractor and say, I'd like this work done, and I, I get quoted £10,000, I want to know, is that in the right ballpark? Um, is it reasonable? Um, so certainty, clarity, costings, consistency, that would be great if we could get that. And I'd wish them a lot of luck in, try, in trying to deliver that. Oh, yes, they're, they're, they're not the easiest things in the world to achieve, I could imagine, mm -hmm. but having lofty ambitions is the only thing you can do when you're trying to drive change at this extent, isn't it? So frustrations are evident, Kate. Sometimes I think you have to start very small um, because a lot of people doing something relatively small can actually add up to quite a lot. We don't all need to rebuild our houses overnight. We can't do that. That's not practical and it won't happen. But rather than just shrugging and saying, oh, well, I can't do anything about it. We all know that there are small things we can do, like turning the thermostat down or turning the lights off a bit or changing the light bulbs. Um, so it's it, it's, a, it's a question of, of proportion. Indeed it is. Actually, Kate, is, is there much likelihood then that mortgage advisors and, and other brokers will have to be experts in green remediation and retrofitting and goodness knows whatever else themselves? I've heard a number of intermediaries expressing concern about that, and I absolutely share that concern because there's no way they can be expected to be experts on mm -hmm. that. Mortgage yeah. intermediaries, brokers are experts in selling mortgages, explaining mortgages and mortgage finance to their clients. Um, and just as they, a lot of them will not be able or, or qualified or indeed permitted to advise on insurance products or investment products, um, and you wouldn't expect them to know about all sorts of other things, they can't be expected to be experts on this as well. They do, or they may well have a very important role in signposting people to authoritative sources of advice. Um, and when we get those authoritative sources, hopefully from the government and elsewhere, um, that could be very helpful. But I, I don't think intermediaries need to be con too concerned about that. I can't see that the responsibility will lie with them. I'm sure they're trade association and indeed IMLA would speak up very strongly in their defence and say no this is a step too far they, they cannot be expected to to do that it's not fair to to put that extra burden on them. Good I'm sure our listeners will be relieved to hear it and as Brandon said we've come rapidly to the end of that conversation which was fascinating thank you very much indeed for your time today it's great to hear what you're doing, get your input, particularly given that lender intermediary relationship, which is so important. And we hear the frustrations and we just join your hopes that the four C's will actually be forthcoming sooner rather than later. Been a pleasure, thank you. IFA Talk is for investment professionals only. All material has been carefully checked for accuracy, but no responsibility can be accepted for inaccuracies. Whatever appropriate, independent research and whatever necessary legal advice should be sought before acting on any information contained in this podcast. And value of investments and income from them can go down as well as up. You may not get back the amount you originally invested.